It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to Summer Days with Stephen McIver. Don't Stop Me Now by Queen is quite appropriate, apart from being my one of my favourite songs and producer JD's as well. But the Blackfern 7 swept the ASB Rugby Awards last night. Skipper Sarah Hidney becoming only the second woman after Kendra Coxedge to win the ultimate prize of Player of the Year. Well, one of her star teammates, Michaela Blyde, is here to chat inside the next 90 seconds. We finally wrangled Kiwis coach Mike Maguire. You know, he dropped us on it yesterday. Well, guess what? He's here at 9.30 to chat about the Kiwis, the Tigers and the NRL. The second Ashes test begins in Adelaide today. It's a day-nighter and SEN's Anthony Huddo-Hudson is in after 10 to run his eye over England's potential bounce-back chances and Australia moving on without Josh Hazelwood. While the panel this morning will fire up on a number of things we throw at them after 11, the first female recipient of the Steinlager Salva, and she's a good sort, Blackfern legend Anna Richards. Plus we've got the new UFC China head striking coach Mike Angove on the challenge he faces. And you can try and stump me after 11. And remember, all through the morning, if you ring up and offer an opinion, you'll go on the draw to win a Sky Sport Now fight pass to watch Parker Jezora 2 for free this Sunday morning. So get on the blower anytime. 0800 150 That's 0800 150 It's another productive little morning. It's a Thursday in front of us. So let's start by celebrating the Blackfern Sevens. Ops to go on her own and she's found herself in a lot of space. Sarah Hedeny giving Chase Bethron. She gets it up to Michaela Blyde and she'll score first for New Zealand. <laughs> Kelly Brazier bangs it into touch. And a nation that has scaled every other peak in rugby now has the one prize that was missing. An Olympic gold. Black gold in Tokyo. New Zealand Olympic champions. Still gives me goosebumps hearing Tony Johnson's magnificent call. The Blackstone Sevens winning Tokyo gold to erase the demons on losing to Australia in Rio. One of the key players was their speedster, Michaela Blyde, who, as you heard just there, scored the first try in the gold medal match, albeit on one with a dodgy hammy. Uh, Michaela Blyde joins us now on SNZ. Michaela, congratulations on the Rugby Awards success for the team. But I want to start in Tokyo. When did that hammy flare up? 
<laughs> uh, thanks for having me, first of all. But yeah, like you said just then, um, I literally just got goosebumps listening to that playback as mm. well. And I like literally had a little bit of a watery um, eye as well. I mean, I'm, I'm tough, but hearing that commentary back just, oh, it just <laughs> brings back the major feels. But yeah, um, to be honest, my whole preparation going into Tokyo was just really unexpected. Um, it wasn't the plan whatsoever. I probably had about two or three niggles going into it, but it was just a matter of um, knowing that I had people around me that can help me out, support me, and it was literally the Olympic Games. There was no way that I was going to miss any games. There was no way I was going to miss the final. Um, so, yeah, the hammy just literally was one of those situations where you just take a few Panadol and away you go. You just <laughs> carry on. But, yeah, Incredible tournament it was. Yeah, look, and, and when you look back at Tokyo, and I, I was, I did the final in the studio in Sky Sport, and I, I want to talk about culture in just a moment. But the one word that seems to strike me about your team that you were involved in was the word resilience. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'd obviously didn't have the best Olympic Games in 2016, obviously coming away with a silver. But although in saying that, the girls did incredibly well, um, despite. The environment that we had, the culture that we had was completely different to what it is right now. Um, and so going into Tokyo, there was no way that we wanted to feel that feeling ever again. Um, it was just one of the hardest things that you had to do, the hardest pill you had to swallow is coming away with a silver medal um, because in our environment, or well, in our game, obviously to win silver, you've got to lose. Um, so it's a really hard feeling and it's, it's something that we didn't want to ever experience again and so going into Tokyo we literally had one goal and one goal only and that was to win gold and anything short of that wasn't good enough in our mindset um so yeah we were we were literally very dangerous and very unstoppable when there was nothing that was going to get in our way come Tokyo. Well see Michaela you've opened up the door to talk about culture you said the cultures between Rio and Tokyo were completely different so the one thing that struck me in our studio on the night of the final we got Shane Nathan Wong in right Tyler's sister and they were there was tears mm-hmm. everywhere they were yeah. crying and she spoke to me about the culture and I've I wondered and you've just said it it was different so what changed between Rio and Tokyo and who was driving it um I guess a combination of management and players um we well, for starters, our head coach, who has now moved on, Alan Bunting, um, when he was officially appointed as our head coach in 2016 after Rio, he focused straight away on our off-field priorities, our off-field values and our morals. Um, so then when it came to playing on the field, we already had each other's back, we already had each other's trust um, and that love for each other, which is really important when it comes to our environment because we see each other every single day. We live together together. Um, we train together all the time, and so if we can't get along, then playing rugby is going to be a real hard challenge. And so for him, it was important that we focused on our culture first. So, you know, bringing it all the way back down to what our vision was, um, what we do in the gym, little things like picking up the water bottles after training. Um, it's just just those little things in life that a lot of people probably just don't think is really important, but to us it's really crucial to making sure that we're all aligned um, so come on field, we've got each other's back and we trust each other and all the moves and whatever we come up with just flows from there. Um, but yeah, we've just got incredible people in our environment that prioritise those things just as much as the on-field work as well. But yeah, now that we've got um, Corey Sweeney as our head coach, he's just probably going to continue what Bunt has started um, and just continue on with the work that he has created in the environment and culture. But 
we've got an incredible leadership group, incredible people in our team uh, who are obviously very proud Maldives, Pākehā, Fijians, and we contribute all of those cultures into our one in one environment um, to make sure that we are all aligned and just love each other dearly, really. Yeah, and, and the key component of that culture, which, you know, is stunning because it, it appears from the outside looking in, it's a winning culture, but holding each other accountable. Yeah, definitely. We've got... Um, in, in a place of love, we love to give each other feedback. Um, we're each other's critics, but in saying that, we're also our own individual perfectionists. Like for me personally, I just I'm one of those people that can't finish training on a bad pass or a bad catch. Um, so we're all perfectionists in some way, shape, or form. But yeah, we definitely have that sort of um, culture as well, where we we give each other feedback, and um, it's all out of a place of love. And so. Come nice. playing, we we know what we need to do and we know what our work-ons are and we just put all of our strengths together to come as one. Sarah Herney, what makes her the leader that she is? Oh, gosh, I could honestly go on all day about that lady. Um, for starters, she's a great person. Take rugby out of the picture and she's a great person. Um, she's approachable, she's friendly, she's selfless. She's just one of those people that you can rely on no matter what and... That, to me, alone, taking away her captaincy, taking away her role in rugby is crucial in life. Um, she's just one of those people that you want in your circle, definitely. And what she's gone through in the last 12 months is something that no person ever deserves. Um, she's just obviously had a very, very heartbreaking year with the passing of her mum in February this year. She could have easily turned around and said that she didn't want to be in our environment anymore because it was too hard, but she... Um, she decided that she would turn that heartbreak into a little bit of motivation and had almost probably the best rugby career year of her life. Um, she's just an incredible human being and what she's done for our, for our team, for our women's rugby, um, is second to none. She's, and she's still got more to give. That's the crazy thing. She's still got more to give. And she's obviously going to be competing in the Super Rugby OPEC um, competition this year for the Hurricanes. And then after that, we've got Com Games and World Cup. So she's still got a lot of things to do in her rugby career. She's, I'm hoping that she's not close <laughs> to retirement. Um, but, yeah, honestly, what she did last night was thoroughly deserved. She absolutely deserves everything that comes her way when it comes to those individual accolades. I know you've got a team meeting in about two and a half minutes, so I've just got to ask you a couple of quick questions. What was it like getting your gold medal from Sarah? Um, I remember the first time meeting Sarah back in 2012 in Waiuru. It was our first camp. Um, I was 16, so Gossie might have been about maybe 19, 20 years old, and she was the bubbliest, smiliest person that was in that environment. Everyone was so stuck up and just in their own little world, but Gossie was just super, super friendly, and from there onwards, I was like, oh, yeah, like, you're cool, I'll look up to you, and I've looked up to her ever since. And so to receive the Olympic gold medal from her was just the cherry on top of the cake. Um, I look up to Gossie. I'll always look up to Gossie. And so to receive that gold medal was just an incredible feeling. And we bawled our eyes out together after we <laughs> gave each other a hug and a kiss. And, yeah, it was it was an incredibly proud moment just to even receive the gold medal in general. Um, I've been dreaming about it for a long time. So to finally have it and to finally have it on my mantelpiece is something that I'll never get never get bored of. I always look at it still to this day. 
I could talk to you all day, but I know you're busy. Uh, Michaela Bly, congratulations on a wonderful season. Uh, I'm assuming you're getting ready for Mulligan in Spain in the World Series in January. And look, have an, an amazing Christmas. Uh, relive those memories, shed more tears, and go well. Absolutely. You can guarantee that we'll be shedding more tears. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> but yeah, next year, for those that are listening, it's a massive year for women's rugby. We've obviously got um, Sevens World Series starting back up in January. But then we've also got Commonwealth Games, World Cup 7s, and then World Cup 15s for the Black Ferns. So a massive year for women's rugby. So keep an eye out for um, all the events that are coming up. Michaela, you're a champ. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, mate. Thank you. Michaela Blyde, wow. I'm just going to say wow. If that doesn't that doesn't speak volumes, yeah, I've, I've got goosebumps just listening to her again, JD. Uh, pop your mic on because... You know, she talked about the accountability. She talked about little things like picking up water bottles. But when you hear the confidence and the maturity and the professionalism of the way she, she just spoke to us for the last 10 and a half, 13 minutes, I've got to say I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a jaw dropper. She, what a wonderful woman. Yeah, incredible woman, incredible team. Four times in a row now, Stephen. They're the best team in the New Zealand Rugby Awards, and you can hear why. Uh, all started from Ellen Bunting and a lot to do with Sarah Hidany. Um, what an amazing woman. Incredible that she won the Caltramaine last night. She was an absolute inspiration throughout that whole Olympics. And then Michaela bringing up there that Sarah's mum passing in February and the way that she was able to handle that is just incredible, isn't it? It goes, abo- it goes above and beyond sport, really. I, 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 I know I've said this a couple of times, but I was fortunate enough to be doing the Olympics on Sky and I was anchoring the, the women's final and I had, uh, oh, I've forgotten my guests, wonderful women, uh, and, and then Tyler Nathan's Wong's sister who I brought in after they'd won, Shay. Tears. I mean, honestly, I was I I was welling up, and it, and it, and I so I asked Shay about the culture, and the one thing that came in, uh, about Tyler and and how it affects his family is that the families of these women are immersed in this environment as well, and the one word that comes out, JD, is sacrifice. The sacrifices mm. that these women make to do something that they love. Now, everybody makes sacrifices in life, but they are fortunate to do this and something they love, but they do make sacrifices that we don't see. Yep. So this this gold medal win wasn't just a win. I know this sounds cliched. It wasn't just a win for the women on the field. It was a win for their families. And it struck me then and there, and it's the first time ever, the true meaning of a proper culture in a sports team. Yeah, because we've chucked it around forever, haven't we? What, 20, 20-odd 20 years? I think the Crusaders started it off in New Zealand where we heard this word culture, and none of us really understand it, but so many of these women have individual stories of what they give up to live in the mount full-time and train full-time for Rugby Sevens, one of the most gut-busting sports you can possibly do. So Michaela Blyde, awesome. Sarah Hidany, awesome. That whole team, unreal. Congratulations to all of them. Um, they've got their time in the sun, and their year, it's been their year, hasn't it, Stephen? Well, well, you well, can't take anything away from uh, them. What, Blackfern Sevens' fourth year in a row? They've been the team yeah. of the year at the ASB Rugby Awards, is that correct? Yep, that is absolutely correct. So, And, and, yep. the, and the game itself. So look, I'll be, I'll be quite honest with you. Sevens is not my cup of tea. 
Yep. But actually watching the women play sevens yeah. is my cup of tea. Exactly. Men's sevens I can give or take, right? Which is so annoying that they don't play here that often. Like our women's sevens team, when do we see them? Like we, It took them ages to get them on board at the Hamilton sevens. They finally played like an ex- exhibition game. Then COVID comes along and ruins any plans of seeing them. We never see them on our own so- home soil. The only time we see them is in provincial 15s. You know why we are falling in love with the women's sevens? I'll tell you why, and this is where... Men's rugby needs to take note. You tell me, can you guess what I'm going to say? Personality? Yep, exactly. Put themselves, put exact, themselves out there? Exactly they're right, allowed, Katie. they're allowed to put themselves out there by the media machine. No, no, hang. Back, oh, you mean the rug, their rugby media? No, no. They, yeah. they, I don't think they care. I think that's who they are. And so they're not going to give you the the straight old year. The uh, boys took it up the front year, everybody happy. Yeah, yeah. We did it. We we did our KPIs. Full credit. Full credit. And away you go. Right. They are who they are, and that I think is. And the one word that comes to mind in all of this is perception. Yep. So the perception of the what they are doing is greater now because they are creating personalities, which rugby league does. Right. They allow people to have a personality, and that's where I think is a huge, huge bonus for women's rugby. Yeah. They are just fun. I mean, you can go back to that great interview, Ruby Tui, after the one game they struck, struck her. I think it went was, viral in a good way. What, what was the line? There's not enough hand sanitizer out there to clean up the, the I think she, she, she dropped the S-bomb yeah. uh, that we just put, put out there. And I think, there you go, right? Yeah. But an understanding of what this is about. The one word that comes to mind, entertainment. Yeah. But they, but they back it up with the results. Exactly. They're just so professional, um, but not too professional <laughs> that we don't want to talk to them. But um, Rugby Awards last night, Stephen, I thought it was relatively interesting, some of the um, awards well, yeah, that were dished well, out. No one, no one is surprised that Sarah Hidden took the top spot along with the Tom French Memorial Medal. Yeah, uh, and that that was pretty cool. Anna Richards, who we are talking to at eleven o'clock this morning with a slight hangover, um, <laughs> was the first woman to pick up the prestigious Steinlager Salva for. It's basically for contribution to rugby over the years. Yeah, we're, we're talking like Sir Colin Meads won it first in 1999 when they first came out. That's the kind of prestige we're talking about with this award. So awesome to see a four-time Rugby World Cup winner, Anna Richards, rewarded in that way as well. Uh, the Black Fern Sevens coaches, Corey Sweeney and Alan Bunting, jointly named Coach of the Year, third year in a row. Yep. Uh, I don't think there was any surprise that uh, Adi Savia collected the All Blacks uh, Player of the Year ahead of Barrett, Jordan and Ioane. Yeah, he was my pick. Artie Severe for the year. I know a few people were whispering maybe Will Jordan because um, he had such a great breakthrough year yeah, scoring all those tries out wide. Yeah but, but, yeah, but the cynic in me says that 95% of those tries came against teams that weren't that flash. Yeah, what, five against Tonga? Yeah, 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 and a few, yeah. That's but not it, being unkind to no. Will. And I think Rico had a great year in Geordie as well. But for me, Artie, definitely. Uh, interesting one for me, Ross Filippo, first year as coach of Waikato. Uh, won the domestic coach of the year ahead of Razor Robertson and ahead of Neil Barnes, who won every single game he possibly could for Taranaki. So well done to Ross Filippo. Uh, Waikato were on the road, forced out of Hamilton for a lot of the season due to COVID, and then came back home and won the final on their home patch. And, so. and maybe that was the telling factor, winning on the road away from where you, you couldn't play and what it takes to mould a team yeah. together to do the job. In your first year as a coach, you have all that chucked at you. Like, quite amazing. And, and the passing of Sean Wainui as well, which just devastated a lot of people in that Waikato team as well. So he had a lot of man management to go on there as well as being on the road with COVID and then winning the title. So well done to Ross Filippo. Yeah, and of course the national team of the year went to the, the, the Crusaders, which, you know, fair, fair enough. And of course, Richie Mwanga, are you happy with Super Rugby player of the year? The boys, Baz and Izzy spoke to him this morning. Yeah, they did. And he's won it back to back. And that's the... Uh, 
uh, this is what people say about Richie Moonga. Brilliant super rugby player. Hasn't made his mark in the All Blacks. <laughs> you, love to, you love to throw that one out, don't you? That little click that, that line. People yeah, he's love great that in one. super rugby. Well, I'm not so sure well, about I always back the up, I always back up Richie Moonga. He's always. I've always said he's better, better than Bowden. He should lead us to the next World <laughs> Cup in the 10 jersey. But this year... I've had to take a seat, and I've had to admit, Bowden's our guy after this year. Bowden's a so, guy. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, there you go. All right, well, so that was the ASB Rugby Awards. Congratulations to all those winners who I know are listening uh, on SENZ today. Uh, Anna Richards coming your way after 11 o'clock this morning. Uh, good sort. Amazing woman. Uh, 49 caps, four World Cup wins, so much more to talk about after 11. And just a quick note, in the rugby world, uh, Cody Taylor has re-signed with the New Zealand Rugby until 2025. Played 66 tests, made his debut 2015, and he was part, of course, the World Cup winning squad. He follows in the footsteps of uh, Savia, Kane and Moody, who have had their contracts extended beyond 2023, along with Patrick Tuipuloto, Ofa Tunga Afasi, and Samasuni Toke Aho. So uh, that's another good re I like Cody Taylor. I like him a lot. He's a top man. He got a bit burnt out uh, by the end of the season, but an absolute top man. So getting a bit of a dad's army uh, signed up for the next World Cup, the All Blacks. So oh, all, all here the, we go. Yeah, no, it takes here a lot we, of veterans to win World start, Cup. Start throwing the excuses out early, No, Jody. it's not an dad's excuse. It's a good thing. I, th- I think it's a good thing. You look at the history of Rugby World Cups and teams that have won it, they've always got grizzled old veterans at the front. Just a sprinkling, grizzled. sprinkling of youth. You're becoming a grizzled old veteran, you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, That's 0800-150811. Get on the blower now. Ring up. Be in the draw. Tell us what you think of the Rugby Awards and the Michaela Blyde interview. And you go in the draw to win that Parker Jazora 2 fight pass, courtesy of Sky Sport Now. Now is your cue to call. 0800-150811. And for me, Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.28 9.28 Thursday morning, the Flower Bomb. Trudy will have news and sport coming your way shortly. The Flower Bomb, by the way, is the name of the scent of her perfume, her spritz that she likes to do just before the end of the day or just around lunchtime. Uh, loveracing.nz is giving thoroughbred owners the chance to win a 10% share in a racehorse. Here are the prize details. This sounds pretty cool, actually. A 10% share. Now, that's up to the value of 10000 New Zealand dollars in a thoroughbred purchase at Karaka next year. The training costs are covered for up to two years on the uh, or the horse's first race, whichever comes first. Uh, travel for the winning team to Orcas and two nights accommodation. Tickets and hospitality at the Vodafone Derby Dan Ellerslie on Saturday, March 5 next year. A bespoke stud tour. On Sunday, the 6th of March, 2022. You can take that in any way you want, a bespoke stud tour. Come and look at my studs. Oh, you've put your studs there, have you? Uh, a thoroughbred experience tour at New Zealand Bloodstock National Yearling Sales on Monday, the 7th of March, 2022. Uh, so if you're a thoroughbred owner, why, why don't you want to become a thoroughbred owner? Share the thrill of ownership with your mates. All you have to do is enter at loveracing.nz. And share the thrill for the chance to win a 10% share in a racehorse. And as we say really quickly, like those American ads, T's and C's apply. Okay, I'll say it slowly. T's and C's apply. It's 9.30. 9.31 on 
7.32, they say sometimes second time lucky, and we are lucky because he has such an important job. That is Kiwis coach Michael Maguire, who joins us on SNZ Mornings to talk about a number of things. Good morning to you, Michael. G'day, how are you, guys? Yeah, no, no we're good, mate, we're good. Uh, you must be hankering for some international footy. Uh, yes, I am. Um, really looking forward to uh, getting the boys back together. Uh, you know, the Kiwi boys have... Uh, really created a bond between themselves that's um, you know, wanting to roll into a strong World Cup campaign and uh, you know, get the results. So really looking forward to getting a, a potential mid-season test. Um, that's been sort of spoken about at the moment. And then uh, looking to get ourselves into camp at the back end of the season. Uh, but uh, yeah, we've got a lot of rugby league between now and then, so looking forward to seeing the, the depths of what we have now in the Kiwi uh, squad uh, to see who uh, bobbles up and takes their opportunities when they uh, come about. Michael, one of those players you surely must want is Asofa Solomona. Now, he's holding out on the whole vaccination gig. As the Kiwis coach, have you tried to reach out and talk to him about the bigger bigger picture? No, I haven't. Uh, I've had uh, some conversations with the Melbourne Storm and they're working through that with him. Uh, no doubt they'll get themselves sorted out because um, everyone's... Uh, yeah, working through what they need to at this time of um, yeah, what's going on in the world, mm. and I'm sure uh, the big fella will get himself sorted out in time. Yeah, no, yeah, he's the sort of guy you want, isn't he? Uh, congratulations, Jerome. I definitely, I definitely want him in. Uh, definitely want him in that squad. <laughs> yeah. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want the big unit there? Yeah. Uh, Jerome Hughes. Yeah. You, you said in a media release uh, it was uh, it was a tough call to pick him as Player of the Year. So, what did you see in Jerome Hughes as the NZRL Player of the Year? Yeah, it was a really tough uh, decision, that one. I mean, you know, it's really nice to see the Kiwi boys. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll share with you, we discussed when we were together probably about 18 months ago now, which is such a long time ago, about the Kiwi boys taking, um, you know, a real strong hold across the competition and, and growing themselves into becoming big names within, uh, you know, what they do back in their club land and, you know, have a lot more presence in their leadership and, and how they control the team. And I think Jerome's a great example of that where he's gone back and you see him play week in, week out this year, and he had a real big influence on his team uh, and how he played. Every game, he was very consistent. Uh, you can see that he was leading the team around, and you know, especially talking to some of the um, Melbourne Storm players and uh, the coaching staff there, they said that uh, he's really worked hard in that space to become better at being a leader within the team too. So a lot of those sorts of things, of, uh, things that we've identified as the reasons why he, he took the award out this year, but... In saying that, you've got people like Jabwe Hargreaves, uh, like Joey Mann, who stood up very well this year, and you know, I could go on with a num- number of other players. Uh, so he was a very difficult one. And you know, James Fisher-Harris, you know, he's playing outstanding uh, footy at the moment uh, in how he's going into being a real dominant front rower of the game. So yeah, it's, it's good to see. We, we referred to James Fisher-Harris yesterday as one of those guys that's got a bit of old school about him. Not flash, he just gets down, gets dirty. He's a bit the, he's like Jerry, he's, a bit, he's your alpha male. Uh, very much so, yeah. I mean, I had uh, James uh, in the Kiwi space well, probably about two years, two and a half years ago, and he's, he's very quiet about how he goes about things, but he's one of those players that you'd love to play with. Uh, you know, he's always... Uh, by your side, no doubt, in whatever battle it is. So, um, yeah, I really enjoy coaching him and you know, can really understand why he's excelling in what he's doing at the moment. There is one young player that's had a breakout year, went to the Parramatta Eels and then suddenly came alive on the edge and he's going to be a Tiger in 2023. What what do you like about Isaiah Papali'i and the fact, too, that you wanted him at the Tigers? 
Yeah, everything he does, he's, he's got a real presence about himself. Uh, look, I think sort of leaving New Zealand and you know, coming over and then you know, growing into the man, you know, it's, uh, you, know you, you bring a lot of these young players into the game and they mature and then they learn how to apply their trade of the week in, week out of rugby league. And he's always had a presence on the field. Uh, and wherever he is, you've got to watch him. And, you know, I thought this year was definitely the year where he was able to achieve that in every game. And, you know, we always had big moments in games, uh, whether or not it was, a, you know, a bustling run or, you know, a defensive uh, decision that he was making. I thought that uh, his growth in that space uh, definitely inspired me to want to have him uh, a part of the team that I coach over here. Um, but also, too, from a Kiwi point of view, it's building that depth of our back rowers. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Kenny Bromwich, uh, you know, Todd Harris, you know, you've got all these players now that uh, are excelling, but someone like Isaiah coming in now and um, you know, making his mark on the game is a big thing. I've just been talking to a young lady called Michaela Blyde, Michael, who was part of the uh, gold medal winning Black Fern Sevens, and we were talking about culture, and she said the one thing about having a strong culture is having good people, and Isaiah appears to me to be one of those, a good person first and foremost. Uh, yeah, you're spot on there. I mean, you know, good teams are always have good culture. You know, they've got the right people that really care about, you know, the jersey and what they do for their teammates. And, you know, Isaiah comes from a great family. I was very fortunate to debut him. And, uh, you know, mum's a superstar within rugby league and uh, very big in the CrossFit games over there. And, uh, you know, you can see that that's really trickled down into uh, what Isaiah does. And no doubt dad uh, is a big force in the background. You know, giving the encouragement of uh, you know how to play the game, so he's got a really good support network around him, which is very important for players. It's uh, you know that you've got the one thing of the player being uh, you know pulled apart in games and they go home with the bumps and bruises, but it's the team that you have at home that looks after them as well. So uh, that that plays a big part in the culture of uh, you know any team. Do you find it funny that Australia are ranked number four in the world and you're ranked number one with no footy being played? <laughs> yeah, look at. It's nice to be able to see New Zealand in the lights there, but uh, I think as a playing group, we're well aware of you know, what we want to achieve. And uh, yeah, when I first arrived, uh, and um, you know, being very proud to be able to coach the Kiwi team, <laughs> the players are all very hungry to be able to um, dominate and uh, get the results at a World Cup. And you know, I think that's the one there that uh, you know, one thing around uh, the New Zealand team is that they've only won one World Cup. Um, you know, and over the years now, I look at the players and. You go, well, you know, with the, the ability and the players that we have, well, that's the, the target that we're really after. So, look, as uh, nice as it is, I think everyone has a real understanding about what we want to achieve uh, for the Kiwi people. Are you on the way to work at, like, 7.30 in the morning? Uh, I am, I am, yes. So I... Uh, I'm caught in traffic in Sydney, so uh, nothing's changed over here with the traffic. <laughs> Michael, I can't have you on without <laughs> talking about uh, looking forward to next season with the Tigers. How much more comfortable are you going to be without cameras imposing themselves on following the documentary on Fox last year? Yeah, funnily enough, well, you didn't really notice the cameras, the way they do that. Um, obviously, uh, watching yourself back is uh, <laughs> you know, a bit of an eye-opener, but uh, look, I, I tend to put my passion out there and, uh, you know, the expectations of the team and look they they capture certain things and there's a lot that goes on in and around what you would have seen there as well i mean uh you know club land it's, it's, a, it's a great place to be uh, even though you have the the adversity that you face at some stages you get to find out about each other and um i think it'll be a, a little easier and a little bit quieter knowing that that's not going to be in the background but i guess we're able to share uh, with the public that um 
you know, there's a lot that goes on in the rugby league team. How much tougher are you now? Because you, you're you're the one of these coaches that always comes up that when the results aren't going, well, he's gone, he's gone. How much? What have you learned about yourself when it comes to resilience in this job? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, a lot of people ask me that at the moment, and obviously at the back end of the season, there was a lot thrown uh, sort of our way at the club and myself and things like that. But uh, look, I'm very focused in you know building people and you know building the players, and I have a real understanding of where we are as a club. You know, it doesn't just happen overnight. A change in a club, and you know, you spoke about culture before about trying to develop that and develop the people within. And uh, I think the biggest thing is making sure that you're focused on what you want to achieve and. The people around you are the most important part, um, and the people externally will always have an opinion, uh, whether it's a positive or negative. I mean, I've got a lot of fans that are right behind us as well, uh, and you know, those are the sorts of things that you just got to make sure that you push aside and understand that the better you can make the people within, uh, the stronger the organisation will be. So. They're the things that I look at. Yeah, and talking about creative culture, you, of course you've got a new director of football and former coach Tim Sheens. On a positive note, how do you see that benefiting you as a coach going forward? Uh, that, it'll be a real big benefit for myself. You know, clubs are made up of so many different areas uh, and you know, a lot externally in and around the team. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done and having Tim and having his expertise and it's about pathways, bringing through the next generation of player. Uh, you know, in the, the days of salary cap now, you can't keep everyone. It's just reality of the business. So you need to have a, a great group of young players coming through and Tim's going to be able to help me out uh, and help the organisation out to be able to build the depths of what the West Tigers are about. And we've got such a big catchment area. We've got thousands and thousands of players. So we should really be developing a lot within and uh, I really enjoy bringing through uh, local uh, local players, you know, guys that have probably aspired to play for the club through the junior ranks, uh, and then they go on and you know, they play first grade, and then before you know it, they're winning a competition. But what you have behind that is the passion and the family that have been supporting uh, the young player and even the young female now that's coming through the game. So someone like Tim can come in and help out, help build uh, the things around the team so I can really focus on coaching the team itself. Have you finished recruiting? No, we've still got a couple of spots, so we're uh, we're always looking at uh, recruiting. What are you looking at? What are you uh, looking always, at at the uh, moment? Oh, look, I'd like another outside, quick, fast, big outside back. So if uh, there's any kids over there or men over there that are ready to go, <laughs> mate, I'll, there's uh, plenty. You know that there's plenty. Yeah, mate, there is. It's just a shame this uh, the border at the moment. Uh, I'd really enjoy getting over to uh, New Zealand and you know, travelling around and, and meeting the people of. Uh, uh, you know, in the little towns and things like that. And I know there's a lot of players over there and there's a lot of opportunity. So uh, for all the young players out there, keep keep at it because uh, once the borders open up, I'm sure that uh, there's going to be some opportunities for them. And, you know, I, you know, I know all clubs over here are, are really um, focused on looking at the players in New Zealand. There's a lot of talent and there's a lot of talent that can go on and become great to the game. So that's uh, a very important part. OK, you're watching the Ashes? <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, I will be, yes. That's so uh, it's good to see we've got one uh, one up. But uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Oh, well, it'll be a late night because it's a day-nighter. Michael, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 like you, cannot wait to see the black jersey run out and start uh, punishing other teams because of the amount of talent we have at our uh, at hand. So uh, happy Christmas and, and the best of luck next year with the Tigers, bud. Yeah, I appreciate that and, and really appreciate um, you know, the support. And I do apologise, I missed you yesterday, but... For um, for all the fans over there, the players um, 
are really keen to, to perform well for uh, the New Zealand people and that's one thing I do get from talking to the players a lot. They're uh, very passionate about their home and their people and uh, that's why it's so special to be able to catch the team. So really looking forward to uh, getting the international game back. Thanks, Mike. You're still on the Christmas card list. Don't worry. Good on you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks mate. Michael Maguire, Kiwis coach, Tigers coach, uh, and a little enlightening too. So still got a little bit of buying to do. Wants a big, brawny outside back. Gee whiz, yeah. Just come and look at New Zealand and have a scroll around. There's plenty plenty of that around. And two, the, the key for me there was the fact that Tim Sheens is on board. I think the key line there was, it'll enable me to concentrate on coaching. So take away all the, oh, Tim's here and he's going to be coaching, you know, all the, the cynical drama, the, the, the clickbait headlines. It's about putting people around the place to make your job a little bit easier, that they can concentrate on building the club and then you can coach the team. And, 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 and he understands like anyone, you don't get the results, you know your, your, your neck's on the line. It's as simple as that. Michael McGuire, good chat this morning at 9.45 here on SENZ. 0800 150811. 0800 150811. Have you got some thoughts on what Michael McGuire said? Give me a call and you'll go on the draw to win that Sky Sport Now free fight pass to Parker Jazora 2. This is Summer Days with Stephen McIver and for me, Ian Smith on SENZ. 10 to 10, coming up after 10 o'clock, we'll cross to Australia, talk to SEN commentator Anthony Hutto hudson about the second Ashes Test, which starts today. You can hear it on the SENZ app. They've named their squads. Uh, David Warner is fit for Australia, Marcus Harris, uh, Lobeshan, Stephen Smith, Travis Head, century maker from the first Test, Cameron Green, Alex Carey, Pat Cummins, the skipper, Stark, uh, Hazel was replaced, no surprise, by Jai Richardson, the West Australian, and Nathan Lyon, who could turn out to be another key weapon in this second test. England, the likely, okay, this is not confirmed, but Rory Burns, Hazib Hamid, uh, Dawood Marlin, Joe Root, the skipper, uh, Ben Stokes, Ollie Pope, Josh Butler, Chris Wokes, Ollie Robinson, either Stuart Broad or Jack Leach. Do they go spin or two quicks with Broad and James Anderson is in there as well. We'll get all the lowdown from Huddo after 10 o'clock. Uh, speaking with Michael Maguire, JD, it just uh, made us realise... The t- you know what your Kiwi Test team looks like, and I'm going, yeah, the pack's okay. You got big boys, Fisher Harris, you got Brandon Smith, Wider Hargraves, um, and, and the likes. The Bromwich that, boys, the like, Bromwich we've got, we've got boys, guys everywhere, are, are don't so we? Solid, but then Huge you go, men. But then you go to the back line. You go, so what do you do? No RTS now. So who's your fullback? You see, for me right now, it's Joey Manu. As much as you want him in the centres, he wants to be a fullback because that was all the talk about him possibly leaving the Roosters, well, of which he's now re-signed. So, yeah, and that, but they also play him on the wing. So, but then the, yeah, you take him out of the centres and it leaves the centres pretty bare. I, I guess you could have Chance Nickel Clockstad uh, yeah. start. Jermaine Asako, um, or do you play Jermaine Asako on the wing? Yeah, Jermaine Asako. Yeah, or, like, Jordan Rapana comes into play. Yeah, uh, but is he a, is he a bench forward or is he a big centre? Because I like. Yeah, he's a big body and he's a veteran and he knows his way to the try line, doesn't he? Um, but yeah, we are looking light in the centres and the outsides, aren't we, for the Kiwis? So we've got this monster pack. We've got Joey Manu, who's one of the best backs in the NRL. But outside of that, yeah. uh, Dallin Martini Zalesniak, yeah. he was one of the better players going around a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, nah. Yeah, nah, I, I, on Dallin? Well, only on what I saw him with the Warriors this year, right? I, I went, yeah, nah. 
I'm not sure he was worth the money they paid for him. Yeah, he okay. needs a big off-season, you think, maybe. He needs a huge off-season. The question for me, do you put Jerome Hughes in seven or six and, and uh, tie him up with Sean Johnson? Yeah, I do. I put him in seven. I think he's one of the best halfbacks going around, Jerome Hughes. I want him controlling the team. I don't want Sean Johnson controlling the team. I want him to come in when the moment is right <laughs> and to give us that Sean Johnson magic. Like, Don't I put too don't much on his shoulders. I don't want him controlling the team. I don't. Tell, I don't. <laughs> tell Nathan Brown at the Warriors. I don't want Sean Johnson running the team. It's 9.53. McIver, and for me, Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.58. Feel free to call on 0800 150 I've got two more fight passes to give away to Parker Jazora 2. I'm giving one away today before midday, one tomorrow before midday. If you want to watch for free, you know, free, the big donut. 0800 150 Don't text me. Call me. I do have a couple of texts which I will read, but I'd rather you call me and talk about this. Uh, Ted goes, Joey Manu to fill Kiwi fullback with Geordie moving to the centre. I'm going, well, Geordie, Geordie Barrett, he's not ready yet. No, no, Jordan Rupper. Okay, thanks, bud. Uh, signed, sealed, and delivered, he says. And then this unknown, which I, it's a good chat too, so call me. Stephen, surely you've watched enough of the last 10 seasons to not want Sean Johnson controlling any team. Flaky, kicking predictable, just in place loose running at defenders. Nice thought though, play a bit of loose running at defenders. Well, okay, if you want to talk more about that, you know what to do. Pick up the phone, 0800 150 Coming your way, after 10 o'clock, we talk to Anthony Hutto-Hudson from SENZ's cricket commentary team about the Ashes. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens this month. They got pumped, the Poms. Am I allowed to say that? Probably not allowed, but they got pumped, pumped in the first test. And now this one's a day-night, the old pink ball test. <laughs> I just went somewhere else when I said pink ball. Uh, let's just carry on, shall we? Uh, because this should be a good chat. Because will they have an all-out pace attack, or do they throw a spinner in with a wicket apparently that does like spin? We'll get those answers for you after ten here on SENZ. Ben McIver, and for me, Ian Smith on SENZ. Three minutes past ten on this Thursday morning nationwide on the SENZ app or your local frequency or if you're listening in Australia, g'day mate, uh, you can listen on the SEN app. The second Ashes test starts in Adelaide today. It is a day-nighter which you can hear on the SENZ app wherever you are around the country. Now to set the scene, I want to read a small part of The Guardian, this is the English new paper, their preview as we get set to talk to SENZ's Anthony Hutto-Hudson and it was about the ground. Listen to this. From above, it's hard to miss a ground that is three parts modern mega stadium to one part grass bank and sits nestled in the parkland north of Adelaide's city centre, where once there were sloped terracotta roofs, three giant stands with bulbous white canopies now horseshoe around the outfield like a huge comfy armchair, almost ready for the stay-puffed marshmallow man to slump into after a long day terrorising the public. Does that make you feel good about getting ready to call the second test, Hutto? <laughs> That's quite the description, isn't it? It's a, it is a fantastic ground. It really is. And look, I, I think they've done as good a job as you can. Good morning to you, Stephen, by the way. Yeah, good morning. Uh, uh, as good a job as you can in modernising what was a, a classic, uh, beautiful cricket ground, but it had to um, you know, get into the, the modern era of your life from a financial point of view and uh, and now we play AFL here as well as uh, Aussie rules here as well as um, as well as cricket. So 
it still has retained a lot of its of its beauty and its history, uh, but it is certainly a, a modern stadium as well. And, it, and it, you know, it's interesting that at dinner last night, just everyone was chatting about cricket grounds, and it, it is it is if not that most people's favourite, it's certainly in their top three in terms of cricket grounds and cricket cities around the world because so many people from around Australia come to Adelaide every year for the Adelaide Test, which creates the atmosphere and, and what they've done with the redevelopment, not just of the ground, but in you can now walk across the, across the river, over the bridge from the city, really opens up and joins the oval with the city. So it does create a unique atmosphere And you know, once you arrive here for the Test. Added by, uh, um, complicated by COVID, everyone was uh, in lines of two and three and four hours uh, once they arrived, so they probably didn't put anyone in, in quite a no. jovial mood as they might <laughs> Yeah, no, so it sort of takes the charm away from that little piece. The third to last word in that, that piece I wrote was the word terrorising, and it, that word could come to haunt the English again in this test because uh, Australia, dominant pink ball numbers, they're, they're, they're perfect against the English in Adelaide. They're eight from eight in a pink ball test. Why? Yeah, well... I, I, I mean, a lot of it has to do probably with the, the pacemen that we that we have, and Mitchell Stark in particular, who's been the most dominant with a pink ball. He obviously gets the ball to move early, and uh, and, and and Hazelwood and Cummins not too far behind with their record. Now Hazelwood won't play in this Test match. He's going to be replaced by Joe Richardson, who has played only a couple of games, but he's the informed paceman around the, in, in domestic cricket. So he, we won't uh, they won't miss too much of a trick there with him coming in. But I. I yeah, I think largely at home Australia has has had a very good record anyway, and then you add the add the the pink the pink ball and the uh, and and the lights and and the fact that Australia now you know, does it every year, so they probably have the advantage on most teams when they come here and uh, and uh, and yeah they get they can make the most of, of those situations when the when uh, you're bowling at that time when the lights start to take effect and the ball starts to zip around a bit more and and, and come off the seam as well. Uh, the pink ball does move early off the seam as well as uh, through the air. So I think it's, it's and funnily enough, Nathan Lyon has a very good record as well with the pink ball. So that I can't really make a, a lot of sense of that. But uh, yeah, I think it's mainly to do to do with the bowlers that Australia has. Yeah, well, let's that, let's talk about the bowlers. You talk about Nathan Lyon, nineteen wickets at twenty five point seven eight in pink ball tests, and you've got the English who have. Well, they broaden Addison. Do you play both, or is this wicket going to need spin, and is this going to play right into Nathan Lyon's hands? Yeah, it's a great question. I think Lyon was certainly freed up after last week. Once he got the 400 wickets, it was a bit painful for him, as much as he tried to make out that uh, it wasn't on his mind. You could see once he got it, he, he was a different bowler, and that's, that's, that's understandable. Uh, Jack Leach was like, they just got at him so much uh, that... You know he he's in the twelve, so obviously they're considering, or they're at least making it look like they're considering him playing him, which it would be quite surprising if he if he played. I think they have to play Broad, so I think they have to. I think really their hand is forced. Um, it'd be pretty a fair bit of gumption for them to just play Leach again after the way Australia went after him, and it wasn't just a one-off thing. It was Australia's left hand. So many left-handers, and Jack Leach just doesn't have a good record against left-handers full stop in Test cricket. So um, the, the only complicating factors probably are, as you said, the wicket might end up suiting spinners, uh, and also the over rates where England got fined and uh, and penalised from the, the Test Championship pretty severely by how slow their over rates were in, in Brisbane. And it's going to be hot again. So, 
it does make it difficult for the for the medium pacers and the pacemen to, to get through their overs. Mind you, they spend a lot of they waste a heck of a lot of time. But the way it is. <laughs> when you're getting pumped, you want to slow things down because it's so hot, right? I mean, <laughs> there is a suggestion, Hutto, that Hazelwood out does open the door. Now you've suggested Joe Richardson's. You know, he's the form pace man. I mean, what 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 does this kid kid offer? And is the door open or not? Uh, look, I mean. He's only played two test matches, and they were against Sri Lanka a couple of years ago, and Sri Lanka were a pretty weak team at that stage. So, um, yeah, he's not proven at the highest level, obviously, but since then he's had injury, and uh, shoulder injury in particular, and he's had to fight his way back from, which he has, but he's hit the ground running this year, um, and he's he's not as tall as the other pacemen. He's just under six foot, I think, and... He's a bit skiddy, so he, he does you know, he skid the ball, but he does move it as well, and, and his pace is good, and if anything, he's got stronger and a little bit quicker in the two years. So I don't think they'll... I mean, look, Hazelwood is an exceptional test bowler, so you know, that, I'm sure England would rather Hazelwood not play, but I think Richardson will be a handful as well, particularly in these, these conditions. They would be concerned about their top order, the English, won't they? <laughs> yes, they will. I love they'll that, I love that one. <laughs> yeah, of course they will. <laughs> I think they'll be concerned about all their order, really, other than Joe Root and maybe Milan, who showed a bit in Brisbane. Um, yeah, Rory Burns, obviously, uh, to those that saw the, the first test, bowled off the very first ball by Mitchell Stark uh, and struggled a bit in the second innings. Hamid showed a bit at the top, so that was good. He's He, he didn't go on in either innings, but he hung around, got, got his 20s, so he, he at least took the shine off the ball and uh, it meant that Joe Root coming in at four was then able to have conditions a little bit more in his favour. So hopefully from an English point of view, they can they can um, at least provide some resolve at the top. But yeah, they need somebody to go with Joe Root. They, they need um, you know Stokes to get going or Pope to have a, a decent innings uh, and more, preferably both. And, and Milan, who's shown that he can play in Australian conditions, uh, to also play well again. Ashes, the, the the pressure on players in the Ashes Test must must be enormous. If if for you, if Ben Stokes starts to fire up, would you be concerned? I from a from a commentary point of view, I'd love Ben Stokes to fire up. From a an Australian point of view, of course they're going to be wary of him um, with the history, but he, he didn't look he didn't look overly threatening. Uh, certainly with the ball, he hurt his knee a little bit, which affected his bowling and. At some state, you know, it wouldn't have been surprising if they, in fact, if they'd rested him for this test match. Obviously, they can't really afford to with the situation. And his batting was just okay. He didn't really look like he was going to tear the game apart. So, yeah, I mean, he, he, we know he's, he can bring the magic. He's capable of, of producing match-winning innings or breaking breaking apart the shift, getting a few wickets. He does give their team that flexibility and, and probably allows them to be able to play the spinner or allows them to be able to play another paceman. So. Like, notionally, he's a very important player to their team. He's great that he's here for the series, but it's yet to be seen, really, given how much cricket he's missed, like, to what level he can produce. I'm glad you used the word emotion, because the Ashes, uh, so much of it is about emotion, whether wickets are being taken, test centuries are being scored, or someone's being pumped. It's 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 there and present, and, and leadership comes into play. Now, look, Joe Root needs 56 runs to become the fourth man in history to score 1,600 runs. Does he need, as we say in cricket, does he need a captain's knock to try and inspire the side? Well, I, he, he does, but I, and, and you're right about the emotion. I think it's got to come from somebody else, though. I really do. Like, 
someone else has to play innings like that for England, and preferably two other players. Now, Joe Root, as you said, extraordinary numbers. And I, if there was one thing I was looking forward to in doing this series, it really is Joe Root and what was Joe Root. Um, I was so hoping that he would get some runs. So disappointed he failed in the first innings in, in Brisbane. But, yeah, we saw a real glimpse of him in, because, in the second innings because that, the way he played in the English summer was... You would have seen it against New Zealand and, and seen it particularly, you know, against India. I oh, mean, it was just extraordinary to, to, to watch. And, and you wouldn't, up until that stage, you wouldn't have necessarily elevated him, certainly not elevated him above the other best batsmen in the world. And, and to watch, you might have said he was a bit below Coley and, and a couple of the others. But that changed in, in, the, in the English summer. He was just magnificent to watch. And, but it remains to be seen whether he, because he's never made 100 here, whether he can fully adapt and be a dominant batsman in, in these conditions. And, and again, you know, I hope he can. But yeah, in terms of inspiring, um, he needs runs, but somebody else just has to go with him. And, and I think then, if someone else does go with him, if, if an Ollie Pope got runs or a Hamid goes on and makes 100 or Burns can fight through, then then maybe the, the rest might be able to go with them. I feel like we're trying to find find reasons for England to win ra- ra- <laughs> yeah. ra- rather than they are going to be a threat. Do you get that feeling? Yeah, I do. I do. I think if you are, you would be hoping that Jimmy Anderson um, back in the team might be able to provide that, but that's probably their best hope because Australia aren't, despite the, uh, Australia's good record with the pink ball, Australia really traditionally are not very good at, at, the, at playing against the moving ball. So if, if, if they can get the right on at the right time uh, and uh, you know, get, get the ball to move and put Australia under pressure, then, uh, then I think that does give England a chance. But that, that's probably what they're relying on is that to bat OK and then to get Jimmy Anderson and, and maybe Broad to, to come out and move the ball. I'm sort of disappointed if Mark Wood's not playing it probably made the right call because they do have to manage him. He's got a history of injury, but his pace was, was one of the real pluses in in Brisbane. And, and it had a few of the Aussies, uh, you know, struggling a bit. Just so, um, so anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Robinson was good. So, yeah, but I think that the English bowlers, uh, you know, their pace when led by Anderson are the biggest chance England had. There'll be no shortage of confidence in the Australian camp. Uh, what did you make of Pat Cummins' first tilt at the the captaincy was it an armchair ride did you like what you saw over the test i mean broadly yes and i think what you've got with pat Cummins is a pretty straight shooter and someone who is not going to panic i think there was you know, if ever there was moments and there wasn't a lot where he was under pressure in that test match it was probably it stumps heading into uh, or at the end of day three heading into day four and the message out of the camp was that he was just calm and just told everyone it's just yeah, cool down, reassess the situation, we'll come out the next morning. And they did, they came out, they bowled tight, they picked up the overnight batsman. And um, so, yeah, he passed, the, and he obviously performed with the ball, which is important when you're the, when you're the captain, but he hasn't been fully tested yet. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get more of an idea. I'm sure there'll be times in this series, well, I, I hope and I imagine there'll be times when he'll be tested. I didn't think, his field placings were, were pretty standard, you know, so... Um, yeah, there's a bit of criticism, probably more of Lyon than of Cummins, as the way as, as the fields that were set for, for the spinner. But yeah, that, that's pretty much, I would imagine, that we're pretty much up to the bowler. So, yeah, I don't think he's been tested yet, but so far, so good. And just one final thought. I, I like watching David Warner. Uh, the fact that he's been named to play, do you have any inside oil that he, he's been named to play but is not 100%? 
Uh, he's not a hundred percent. He's definitely not a hundred percent. But um, he obviously, like, he's a tough nut. And we saw last year when he came back. He came back too early um, from his leg injury last year, but but got through the two tests. He wasn't at his best. And then last week he was clearly in in real pain and still will be. Like he's he's had the net. He's had just the throwdowns and that sort of stuff, from what I understand. But he reckons he can get through and. And obviously, being such a pivotal, you know, Australia can win this Test match. They're, they're almost home in the series, so uh, he'll be he'll be given the chance. And, and from what I understand, he's going to play. So uh, that's that's probably why it's a bit disappointing that Mark Wood's not playing because uh, he was the one that probably he he had Warner, you know, really struggling to, to stay stay straight in behind it because he was obviously in a lot of pain with his ribs, and, and Wood was getting up there with the pace. So anyway, Warner, I think Warner will play unless unless he's really pulled up sore this morning. Um, he'll play, and um, and we'll see how he goes. What does Hutto do if he wins the toss? Uh, I think that. Yeah, I think I think it, it, it's sunny. It's going to be hot tomorrow, so um, it, and it's warm today. It's a beautiful day here, and uh, it's going to be hotter tomorrow. So I think uh, you bat. I think you bat today and uh, try and get a, a decent score up. Unless unless you know the pitch is is um, is uh, something. Unusual, yep. then, then I think I'd be batting first. What time is first ball? Well, it's yeah, you, you're not going to be able to get me give you the right answer here. It's two thirty local time, which is I think two o'clock, no three o'clock Eastern. So in five. Australia. So five what o'clock. Would that make it five you, o'clock man? New Zealand five time. O'clock? Yeah, first ball five, at 5 o'clock. p.m. Okay, you did. I, you... I struggle with. When I come to Adelaide, I struggle with time because it's half an hour different to, to eat, and it just does the head in every time. <laughs> Mate, I really appreciate your time being a good yak, and I know you're going to be yakking a lot more over the next four or five <laughs> days. So go well, Anthony. Thanks, Steve. We can't wait. It's, uh, it's exciting. It's, uh, it's the ashes, and it's a beautiful day, and we're in Adelaide. So great to chat. On you, mate. There you go. Anthony Hutto-Hudson, the S, part of the SENZ call team for the second test at the Ashes, which you can hear on the SENZ app. What a bloke. Loves his cricket. And what a good chat, too. 10 18 0800 150811. 0800 I want to talk to someone this morning because I want to give you something for free. A Sky Sport Now fight pass for Parker Chisora, too. So if you've been listening about the Ashes chat, Michaela Blyde, Michael McGuire, give us a call. Don't text because you're not going to win that way. That's as that is the rule. No texting, you call. 0800-150811. Coming next the panel. This is Summer Days with Stephen McIver and for me, Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ten twenty four the names get even bigger from Sky Sport, Mr. I don't know what he wants to do. I think he wants to do the Tour de France. Uh, Jeff McTainch, how are you, buddy? Mate, good. It might just be the Tour of St. Heliers uh, or Pointe Chevalier. I'm not sure. But well, not, not well, considering, St. Ha- considering St. Heliers is my neighbourhood and I'm the mayor of St. Heliers, <laughs> I haven't seen a, a permission a permission slip board. And also one man that's probably not doing as much fitness as you but preparing for the Black Clash from TVNZ, Guy Havel. G'day, buddy. I'm not playing in it. I'm only. Uh, I know that. Minute, but, uh... I know that. But <laughs> gee, I would never even expect you to be invited into it. <laughs> uh, no, you go well, mate. Uh, strong. You're strong. Are you doing any? Are you are you doing as much fitness as McTainch? 
Well, I'm not on the prestigious tour of St. Helier's, no. Uh, yeah, but a, a bit of running here and there, Stephen, just to keep fit the heat of Christmas. It is, it is a big tour, by the way. It is a big tour. Uh, all righty, let's, let's move on. Let's uh, p- to do the first part of our chat on the Rugby Awards last night. Uh, I'll start with you, McTainch, since you like to call a bit of footy. Uh, what did you make of Sarah Herony winning the overall award? Mark, well-deserved. It was... Uh that was a great recognition for, for somebody who's been really, you know, at the forefront of, of the women's game in, in this country and worldwide for a long time. You know, she's such a great leader. Uh, doesn't say an awful lot, but leads by example. Uh, and, and last night, you know, we saw with uh, the Keltramaine Award, Blackburn Sevens Player of the Year, Māori Player of the Year again. Uh, you know, just uh, the sort of stead she's held in in New Zealand rugby. And, and she was just such a big, big part of that campaign in Tokyo. As you know, mate, you were presenting stuff from back here and, and you watched on. And, and um, you know, I think we can all learn from a player like, you know, Sarah. We've had some fantastic all-black captains in the past and, and some great players uh, in, in the men's game. But for what she's done for Wahini Tour, such a leading light and such a great example, not just for young uh, tamariki, um, but um, but for everybody in the game, just the way she conducts herself. So I thoroughly deserve uh, Sarah Hedonese three awards last night at the uh, at the Rugby Awards. What about you, buddy, Guy? Well, I've got to say I'm, I'm pretty similar to Jeff. Uh, she has been superb. She has been a shining light throughout women's rugby in New Zealand, and that Blackburn Seven side uh, continues to go from strength to strength ever since. Uh, the Commonwealth Games and the Gold Coast. Uh, she is uh, an, an outstanding leader, a, a great role model uh, for young women in New Zealand. Uh, and, and, you know, a side point to all of this, um, who else would you have given it to? None of the All Blacks really deserved it. Uh, I don't know if there was any other player in, in men's rugby who deserved it. And the Black Ferns, the 15s aside, the 15 aside team haven't done much uh, this year either. So, uh, I wouldn't say she got it by default. She was definitely the best this year, and she definitely deserved it. Uh, but to be fair, she didn't have a lot of competition in, in that regard. No, fair play to you. Uh, Waikato's Ross Filippo, National Coach of the Year. You caught a lot of NPC, uh, McTainch. Uh, did you raise eyebrows when that that was given out? If I'm going to be completely honest, mate, I was a wee bit surprised uh, with the potentially the lack of recognition for, for Taranaki. I mean, I know they went in the Team of the Year category, first unbeaten season since 1985 under Leo Walsh, Graham Murray, Neil Barnes, obviously was up for, for coach too. Look, taking nothing away from what Waikato achieved, uh, they were in the Premiership division, and again, this is coming down to mention to see what Guy thinks about this as well, the old split log and, and, um, and where that sits. You know, an undefeated season for Taranaki, and they beat some of the heavyweights in domestic rugby as well. So, look, Ross Felipe, a fantastic year. Centenary for Waikato. Uh, you know, they um, put on a heck of a performance uh, through the season and some of those crunch games toward the end. And uh, no, no denying that um, he deserves to be in the conversation and um, congratulations on winning. But I just, I just feel maybe Taranaki potentially overlooked a wee bit. It sounds like to me... Um there was, I think there was a, was there a, a fight that Taranaki was involved in earlier in the season and then obviously um, some pretty stern comments from Neil Barnes around, um, around the promotion relegation situation as well. Mm. And from what I understand, that, that um, quote off-field, and then obviously the fight as well, on-field stuff, mm. maybe uh, had something against them in terms of possibly winning mm. this award. They might have got top points or however they do the voting. Uh, that's how I understand it. So while, yeah, so... 
I mean, if we're looking at their on-field performance, I, I think it's it's remarkable that, that Taranaki hasn't been on it in some way. Uh, but I suppose if you do look at the criteria, and I do believe that is written into the criteria, then maybe you can sort of understand that they didn't, <laughs> oh, they didn't quite live up to some, some side of things. How dare you criticise the Kremlin? The NZR, NZR that, headquarters. How dare you? In saying that, why... Well, I mean, this is in their criteria, but why do we get upset when a coach has a crack at something that he's not happy about? Exactly. No. And we say, no, 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 and we say that we want to hear the truth and we want to hear all of that. I completely support that. All I'm saying is, is if it's written into New Zealand rugby's criteria and they are who the awards are from, then can we argue with that? Uh, if your criteria is uh, wrong, but if it's written in, then uh, fair play to them. I know, but I am I am with you all the way on this one. The one thing we discovered very quickly about uh, the women's sevens and why it is, is so front in mind, so present with us, the ability for the players to say what they think. And that, for me, is mm. huge right now. But boys, hang on. We're back shortly. It's half past ten. Yeah, 10.32 on a Thursday with Stephen McIver and for Smithy. This is Summer Days in the panel with TVNZ's Television New Zealand, the mothership. That's Guy Havelt and from <laughs> and from Sky Sport. Their wannabe triathlete in the form of Jeff McTage. Uh, let us move on, lads. Uh, Steph Curry. Let's talk about Steph Curry. You know, we uh, Americans love numbers and awards and stats. So he breaks the three-point jump shot, the three-point thing. In game 788 only, he goes to 2974, career three-pointers. Ray Allen needed 1,300 games. So, <laughs> McTainch, because you're a shorty, couldn't throw a ball to save yourself. What do you, what do you make of that, uh, that record by Steph Curry? Oh look, I'll pass the ball pretty quickly after that comment. To, <laughs> if, to you the, uh, pass, if you could pass, if you could pass the ball, who is that? Well, yeah, well, look, I, I think I do have some height on my teammate here today. But listen, no, no, it's not, but, but uh, no, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, and that's that's quite a rare thing for me. I'm not, uh, I'm not surprised that Steph Curry's broken this. I mean, it was, I think it was, it was always, it was always going to come, wasn't it? It's been setting records left, right, and centre on those way on the way to titles with with Golden State and. Um, I mean, the season they're having again, look where they are, back top of the West. And, uh, look, it's, um, it, it's pleasing to see. They went off the ball there for a little bit. The Splash Brothers broke up through injury and whatnot. And, uh, and they're getting their, their groove on again. So, um, look, it's no surprise. He, he's a, he's a one of a kind player, Steph Curry. And, um, as I say, um, he, he's spearheading that team again who, who are looking, uh, Pretty damn good uh, at this stage of the season, and that's the ball on the inside lane to Guy Havelt now. Yeah, I'll play. I'll play power forward then, Jeff, if, if you don't mind. I don't know. That's well, the, the smallest power forward going around. <laughs> uh, this is this is absolutely astounding what he has done. You, you read out those numbers just then um, to be that to do it that quickly compared to someone like Ray Allen. I, I think is just absolutely freakish. What I would say is that I think this is what we will see more of um, as as this game progresses in the next ten to twenty years. You know, kids have watched, uh, have grown up watching Stephen Curry do this. They will be out in the backyard, out on their courts, whatever it might be, trying to trying to drain shots from as far back as they can. And in ten, twenty years' time, this will be the norm. So. I was about to say I don't know if we'll ever see this record beaten, but um, I actually wow. think kids will probably that that's how the game will be played. The free ball will be the one that will just um, you know we'll see so much of, 
uh, they might move away a little bit more from from play under the post, and and you know we'll see more players like Stephen Curry. But right now, uh, that is an absolutely phenomenal achievement. And the other thing that I would say is that man, American sports do celebrate. They celebrate yeah. things like this. Like I, I love it. Else. Oh, it was amazing, wasn't it? And and the fact that the New York Knicks took a timeout of their own just so yeah. Stephen Curry could get his moment and they could celebrate it. And Ray uh, Allen was there. Just, yeah, exactly. They they just know how to do it. It was outstanding. You, you know, you you made a really good point there, uh, Havel, which was a rarity, I know. Um, and and the, the fact that... <laughs> but, but no, I, I saw the comparison uh, with, with cricket, right? Because you talk about the three-pointer. Oh, I think it would be terrible if that became the norm. When T20, when T20 came in... Uh, and uh, the, everybody was just bashing, bash, 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 bash. I remember talking to a lot of local cricket coaches, and they were disturbed because all the kids wanted to do was come in and bash the ball and not learn the basics of cricket. Now, I know this is throwing a curveball to you boys, but I wonder whether that's a good thing or not. Guy? Uh, I don't think it is. Uh, I, 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 I think the, the way that basketball is played in terms of the big men under the hoop and the physicality and that sort of thing, I think it's fantastic. Uh, and and I, I I don't want it to go the way that it's going with with Stephen Curry, whoever say, phenomenal achievement. But if we all, if every player, every team did that, I think it would be incredibly boring. Uh, in terms of cricket, yeah, we we have seen it. I mean, look at Test match cricket. You see teams scoring mm-hmm. in excess of three hundred uh-huh. in, in a day's play, uh, and and you know, and a, a test can be changed in a session these days. Uh, yeah, the, the game has changed dramatically. I don't think for the better. Uh, but I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. I think it's here to stay. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I tend to agree. I think um, I think we need to find balance, um, and certainly you see that you see that in the game of cricket these days. I think that what it make, is what makes it more exciting. Um, actually, in some ways, uh, is that um, we can have like anything is up for grabs, and we've seen that in the last few tests with the Black Caps, and uh, and now with the Ashes as well. That uh, that anything can change in a, in a session. So. Um, I think the way the game has changed and, and the, the skill sets that the players have now um, do make it more exciting in some aspects. But, I mean, with cricket, you've got, you've got different forms of the game, don't you? So you can, uh, you can park up and, if you're a purist, uh, enjoy a bit of the long form and, uh, and enjoy that. But just knowing that at any moment a player can, um, like Kane Williamson, for example, can, can turn a game on its head um, is exciting. got to say, it's not like me to say this out publicly, but I'm quite enjoying the Ashes series. But let's just leave that one parked because I want to talk about this news that was released this morning uh, from the Royal and Ancient. The New Zealand Open, which is, we now know has a, a set date, and that's pretty cool, but there are going to be three open spots available. The Open has become part of the, uh, the New Zealand Open has become part of the Open Qualifier series. So the top three finishers in the New Zealand Open next year get a place in the 150th Open at St Andrews. How good McTainch? Yeah, well how good? Well I know Guy has played, uh, he's played a round on Augusta, haven't you mate? So maybe maybe we can speak to him and he might get a media pass anyway to play on the uh, on the old course. <laughs> <laughs> I, might get an intro, I might get an entry into the tournament. Oh, so, so, so what, are you, yeah. what, what are you playing off, uh, Havelt? Oh, no, we won't go down that path, Stephen. Um, about so, a 15, but... I oh, gee, that's all right. And, that's all right. Yeah, but uh, I played my first round since February or March, and I was uh, in, in three figures. So I think 15 is generous at the moment, so it'll blow out, which is a good thing. Uh, in terms of this, 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 is, this is outstanding for the tournament. I think 
it has something to do with the fact that the Australian Open isn't going ahead next year, and so that means that they've given these spots to the New Zealand Open, which uh, they have announced will go ahead. This this could technically mean it's viable that New Zealand would have five golfers if all goes to plan and everything does need to go to plan. New Zealand could have five golfers in the Open Championship, the 150th Open Championship next year. That would be, I suspect that would be a first five Kiwis in a major. Well, I, I think it would be even better, Jeff, than actually winning the damn thing. If you're second or third and you go, guess what, I'm going to the Open. I mean, I'll take, I'll take the money, but man, <laughs> I'd rather be in the Open. How cool is that? Uh, it's not a bad, not a bad bonus, uh, bonus prize, is it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, as I say, if you, if you can be a part of that major experience, uh, and, and you know, irrespective of where where you finish uh, at, at the end of uh, the tournament, just rubbing shoulders with those guys on the tour, um, you know, for, for some of these guys that, that crack it, they might not go on to do much else, but if they they can get over there and, and play in a play in a major. Uh, with the best golfers in the world. It's um, certainly something that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. Okay, final thoughts. McTainch, what does Christmas look like for you? Uh, Christmas looks like uh, trying to get on a plane on uh, on Saturday morning, head down to Queenstown, uh, do the Dunstan cycle trail with the uh, with the in-laws, and then uh, head across and see my folks in, uh, in Wanaka. And, uh, yeah, spend a couple of weeks weeks down there. It's been a, been a long time. Uh, locked inside the Auckland border, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out and, um, and and just seeing some some of the family again, other than on FaceTime. Oh, that's cool. You're taking your wife, I assume. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think she wants to come along, so uh, she generally organises everything in, in, in my life, so uh, she's, she's got it all sorted, mate, so she'll be coming along. <laughs> and that surprises nobody. Uh, Havel, <laughs> Guy, what is, what is your Christmas have in store for you? <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm heading home to Christchurch uh, in about a week's time or just under a week's time. I'll spend a few days there, which will be, like Jeff, great to see the family for the first yeah. time in however long, uh, and then come back up on uh, Boxing Day, do a bit of work, and then back down to Christchurch actually from Brother's Wedding. So, yeah, it's all good. It's great that we can get out. Uh, I think it's, um, yeah, I just hope that everyone can do that and get to see their family. What are you up to? Uh, I'm hanging around, doing a bit of work around here, just doing my thing. You know, us older boys, we just, uh, we settle in, sit down. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be sitting by the pool on the estate, you know, and just uh, just relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can, I just, uh, can I just ask really quickly, uh, Guy, before, before we go, mate, what, what's your pick for the second Ashes test? Uh, I think uh, the injection oh. of, the, of the England paces. Oh, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, look, I, I, I think, uh, Australia are going to roll them again. I like the fact they picked Broad and Anderson, but uh, I think their problem is the batting. Uh, England batting, you really only have confidence in Joe Root when he goes out to bat, and maybe Ben Stokes actually, to be fair, but outside of that, uh, they can all crumble. So, yeah, I think this is going to be another Australian win, and it'll be 4 or 5 nil in the series. McTainch, who's running this? Who's running this show? You trying to do my, <laughs> mate, do my okay, job. Look, look, hey? look, I, settle I settle back, the mate. hell Sorry down, mate. Control. Settle Sorry, the mate. hell down. Sorry. Happy Christmas, Jeff McTainch, Guy Havel. Take it easy, boys, and please stay safe, okay? You do, yeah, big man. Mate. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. 10.43 here at SNZ. This is Summer Days with Stephen McIver and for me, Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.48 heading towards 11 o'clock. Anna Richards, living legend of women's rugby coming your way after 11. 
after winning the Steinlager Salva at the ASB Rugby Awards for the very first time as a woman, not as a woman, but a, a woman winning for the very first time, get it right, Stephen, which is a huge deal. It is a big deal because it's all about the contribution to rugby, both on and off the field. We'll talk to Anna after 11 o'clock here on SENZ Summer Days. Inside the last 30 minutes, big and positive news for the game of golf here in New Zealand. There will be a New Zealand Open played next year at Millbrook between March the 31st and April the 3rd. So it'll be the 102nd New Zealand Open and players will vie for the Brodie Burries Trophy. But the added bonus is what the talking point is all about. The added bonus is that the Royal and Ancient Golf Club, for the very first time, the New Zealand Open has been included in the Open Qualifying Series, which means, quite simply, the top three finishers in the New Zealand Open will get a spot in the 150th Open at St Andrews in July next year. How good is that? The top three finishers will be playing the 150th Open at St Andrews in July 2022. Tournament chairman John Hart is extremely excited about this. They're just working through... uh, you know, government protocols, uh, players they've spoken to on the international tour have said they're willing willing to isolate if they can have practice space. And speaking of golf, we want you to take the Longest Day Golf Challenge. It's a golfing endurance test that will test your skill and stamina. The challenge is to successfully complete four rounds of golf. Wow, that's 72 holes in the single day to raise funds for the Cancer Society. You choose the day, the course, and the team, or you can play solo if you would. I would know. I would. Gee, man, I'd be done after eighteen anyway. I've probably broken about three clubs. Uh, the longest day of the year is Wednesday, twenty-two December. It's next week. Next week, you can play any day in December or January that suits you. All righty, there you go. So you got your options. All you've got to do to help out the Cancer Society is register at thelongestday.org.nz. Thelongestday.org. It's 10 to 11. Thelovracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And it's time to introduce our very own thoroughbred at 10.55 is Louis Herman. What another cancellation. Ouch. Yeah, more postponements, uh, Stephen. It's a real shame for the... South Island Thoroughbred community, Ashburton had a nice little meet on today, but yesterday as of 3.30pm, they had about 30 mil of rainfall and the water was starting to pull on the track because what happens this time of year is the tracks are firm, the weather's good, so when you get big deluges, they don't necessarily have that natural flow like they do in winter. The Mm. surface hasn't been preparing for that for a long time. So they've had more rain this morning. It was atrocious weather, Izzy was saying this morning in Oholka, just up the road from Ashburton, well, get an hour away, but, you know, same sort of region, and um, <laughs> they just binned it. They said, look, let's not worry, let's come back next Tuesday. So what that does to the racing calendar, mate, is it makes a very busy week next week, which is very exciting when you're doing a four-hour broadcast and you want content to fill with <laughs> racing every day. So no, that's really. Got, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. So we've got Gore, we've got on Monday, uh, Sunday, sorry, we've got Pukakaui on Monday, which is a great meet that got abandoned uh, yesterday. We've got Ashburton on Tuesday, New Plymouth is scheduled on Wednesday, Matamata is scheduled on Thursday, then we get into Christmas Eve with no racing and Christmas, no racing. And then on Saturday, 
uh, Sunday, of course, we've got Boxing Day races at Ellerslie, Awapuni and Wingatui, three awesome meets. And um, next week, the week after next, it's really busy as well, mate. So, yeah, it's a, a time of year where the racing really conduces, especially if you get a few postponements. Was there a subtle nudge for me to put some racing on between 10 and 2 next week? Is that you so, so, no. so subtly nudging me, was it? <laughs> Actually, if you want to do none, that's perfect, because I'll do it all. Uh, and I'm gonna, <laughs> seriously. Hey, um, the other thing I should mention is markets opened yesterday for this weekend. There's a couple of feature races at Awapuni. You know, the Carters Mile 2 Challenge Stakes Race 6. The group two, Tavi Mack just asked me, Hypnos just asked me with a bit of water. I think this horse is going to go very, very well. Uh, and race seven, they have the Humphreys construction, one or two cup, it's a group three. Nice little staying field. Again, if there's water and the track's wet, Cherry Lane should be pretty hard to beat. And you're getting about $7 at the moment. All right, mate. Appreciate that time. Louis Herman, what a very own thoroughbred with a Love Racing update. You're home for everything at thoroughbredracing.loveracing.co.nz. Loveracing.nz. All right. Time to uh, catch the best of live racing. You can download the TAB app today. Just watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at the tab.co.nz. But please gamble responsibly. It's R18. Hello, Pip Morris. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Stephen. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's 10.58, so you've got inside a minute and a half to tell me what's going on. Well, we've got plenty for the Greyhounds today. 14 race program at Cambridge. The first meeting where Auckland trainers can be involved as well, so look, really looking forward to that. Bonus back races on the first four races as well. We've got two quaddies, a late and an early quaddy there. Really keen on one in race nine as well. I think Thrilling Grey should be winning at around a dollar and eighty cents there, Stephen. And then of course the cricket will say too, we've got the ashes on second test a little later on. Been a couple of big bets there. Two thousand dollars on England to win at three dollars and sixty cents. Blind. Then another two thousand <laughs> yeah, there's been another $2,000 bet on Australia, though, at $1.49. So, obviously, someone taking them on there with the shorter quote. But, I mean, why wouldn't you the way they're going? And uh, the other one there is another $500 bet on the power play, which is uh, the first session under two and a half wickets. So, someone's willing to take that as well. Wow, I like that thought. Just under two and a half wickets. All right, Pip, have a, have a lovely day. Drive safe again. Turn your radio down. I will, I will. It's, it's broken, actually. It doesn't come down. It's <laughs> All right, mate. Tip, Pip Morris from the TAB. Thanks, bud. Uh, you can, oh, dear, bet it live and watch your favourite sports and racing at the tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. It's R18, which means Trudy's not too far away with the news and sport. Uh, just a reminder, after 11 o'clock, Anna Richards recipient of the Steinlager Salva, the first female in rugby history to receive the Steinlager Salva, which is about outstanding service to rugby. She's going to chat with a little bit of a hangover, we understand, after 11 o'clock. Also talking to the new head striking coach for the UFC China at their Performance Institute. That's our very own Mike Angove. So we're talking to those two people, and of course, you can try and stump me after 11 as well. It's all coming your way on summer days here on SENZ. 11.04, it was a big night for the women at the ASB Rugby Awards last night. And Auckland and Blackfern's legend, and I don't say that lightly, Anna Richards became the first female recipient of the Steinlager Salva. It's basically for outstanding service to rugby, both on and off the field. Just have a listen to this. World Hall, Rugby Hall of Famer, 49 tests, 
just won four Rugby World Cups for the Black Ferns. A member of the Auckland Storm side that went undefeated from 1994 to 2005. Oh, made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit in 2005. Yeah, as a coach, development manager, volunteer mentor. Uh, Anna, the one word that comes to mind when I read all that out, and it is so thoroughly deserved, is wow. How does that sit with you? Um, look, the, the award was a bit of a surprise, and um, I did actually had to look it up, and I was pretty amazed with the the guys who've got it before me. Um, but yeah, I was stoked, stoked to be recognised. But significantly, as the first woman to win it, does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does, um, uh, and hugely honoured because. Honestly, I got called up by Farah Palmer, who I think is a legend, and I was wondering, well, why don't you pick Farah? There's lots of you know people, lots of girls around play rugby who are legends as well. So I'm I'm pretty pretty happy to be picked. You sound like you got a bit of a hangover. Did you celebrate? Okay. Did you celebrate well with one Melody Robinson? <laughs> well, Surprisingly, or not surprisingly, I was working, I was on a Zoom, so I missed the whole thing on Sky. And then I jumped in an in a, um, a Uber and went over to Mel's for a couple of celebratory drinks. Yes, I did. Yeah, and you know when you go to Melody Robbins' place, those sherbets, they just go on and on and on. When you, Why did you start playing rugby? Funnily enough, I started playing rugby because I got dropped from the Canterbury Eagle team. Um, and my coach um, at the time, her husband, um, was uh, Laurie O'Reilly, the famous Laurie O'Reilly, who, and he got me into rugby. And so I was pretty lucky because I was, I was an OK netball player, but I found out I was a better rugby player. Yeah, but what was the attraction of rugby? I mean, they're so two, two completely different sports. Yeah, uh, look, I'd always watch your beats growing up, you know, getting up at, in the early hours of the morning to watch them. I used to go up to my aunties to watch Auntie Monica. So I've always loved rugby, but I, I never thought I'd actually get the, the shot to play it because it wasn't at school then or anywhere else. And then found out I could. And it's a, it's a, game, for, it's a game for champions. You know, you've got to think. It's exciting. You get to run with the ball. You get to smash people. What's not to be excited about it? <laughs> I love that line. You just get to smash people. But what were the, you know, you go from, aver- let's say, average netballer in your world world to rugby player. What were the challenges physically for you? Um, look, back, back then it was just you, you used to go down and uh, we, we trained after the boys. So we trained at like 8, 8, 30 at night. We wore the boys' jerseys. Uh, we played Sunday, so we wore the boys' jerseys that they played the day before that were still dirty. Um, it was about camaraderie. It was about fun. Um, back then, I never went to the gym. Didn't have any money for it. So it was just I was lucky enough to jump in an era where it was possible to, to take up a sport and play. Did you think at the time when you were playing, and I mean it's not that long ago, that there was much respect for women's rugby? Yeah, I think there was. Um, I, you know, I was very lucky. Uh, to play for uh, Ponsonby and for College Rifles, who are hugely supportive of women's rugby. And Auckland Rugby's been supportive as well. I played for them for 20 years. And you know, once NZA, you got on board with women's rugby in the early 1990s. 
you know, they, they've done really well and, and it's just gone from strength to strength, that support. What's changed stylistically about women's rugby from when you were playing? Um, hmm, that's a good one. Uh, I think, you know, now you're getting more girls who are full-time um, and you've seen it in the boys' game as well. You, you, you're just getting a little bit bigger, a bit faster, a bit fitter, um, able to work on the skills a bit more. So it's just getting a, a, to be an exciting brand of rugby to watch. And, and most importantly, it's now potentially at certain parts of the game a career path for young women. Yeah, it is. Well, we used to be... Um, in competition with netball and hockey because it was uh, an Olympic sport and basketball um, for the cream of young athletes. And and now it's a definite pathway with the sevens who are, I've got to say, awesome. And I was glad to see them get Team of the Year last year. They just had such a superb year this year. Um, And it it is a genuine career pathway for girls now. There's something like... I think about 50 to 60 contracts now, full-time. To win one Rugby World Cup is, is something to be treasured, but to win four, of the four Rugby World Cups that you have won, <laughs> what, which is the best one that comes to mind about just that experience, <laughs> that whole campaign? Oh, you see, now that's a tough question. Oh, come on, um, come on. It's <laughs> what, 16 years well, to like, think about? <laughs> I played in five, and I think I stayed and played in the next four because we lost in the semis in the first um, World Cup I played in. And I, I just not like losing. Season. So I stayed there in, in 98, I think it was the first potential die out the World Cup for the girls, and I got to play with my sister. So that made that one really, mm. really special. And a real special group of girls who played in that World Cup. Um, I think 2006 was memorable because of the calibre of the final. Mm. It was in a super exciting final and playing England and they played really well. So I loved the 2006 final. And I suppose the 2010 was memorable because I knew it was my last one and I just soaked it up and really enjoyed the whole experience. And yeah, it was, it was very cool. Are you concerned with the recent form of the Black Ferns when we have a World Cup in our neck of the woods very soon? Well, it's, it's never nice going away and, and losing four games. Um, I think we do have issues, and the issues are more that we need to play more games at a, at a higher level. You know, we're, we're playing against England who have had their Alliance League for three years, which is like super easy. So they've got 10 to 15 great games a year in that and then and that's happened for three years. And then they've got their autumn internationals, their six nations and their spring internationals. So that's another ten to fifteen internationals a year. And what have we played in the last two and a half years? Nothing. Yeah, uh, mind you, COVID hasn't helped, so I think we can have a, there's a bit of an out, out there. Look, the one thing that impressed me, Anna, about the Sevens, I'm glad you brought up the Sevens because I think it was a no-brainer about Team of the Year and Sarah Hernia as, as, as skipper is uh, getting oh. getting that. I mean, what did you say What did you say to yourself when you found out that uh, Sarah won the ultimate accolade, the Cal Tremaine? Mate, I picked her. <laughs> <laughs> said, That's the first I thing said, you said, hand, I picked her. Hand, hand, oh, hand, no, hand on heart. She had to be the winner. Hand on heart, easily had to be the winner. She just had. She's such a superb player, great captain. You know, you can't fault what she's achieved. 
in rugby and seven. She's awesome. See, the, see, Michaela Blyde said the same thing, and it, it, it comes down to this culture question because we've already said this morning the word culture is bandied about uh, a little recklessly. But the one thing that I have discovered in the last six months, the Blackfern Sevens have a culture that they deliver on and they are accountable. When you were playing in your rugby days, was the culture similar? I think when we talk about culture, culture is about understanding why you're playing and who you're playing for, and that gives you the motivation because being a being an elite athlete, it's tough. You had to train really hard. The trainings aren't fun. It's very monotonous for 80 minutes on the pitch of 14 minutes. And so you've got to love what you do. And if you don't love what you do and you're not 100% bought into it, and that's kind of the culture, then it's really tough to deliver as a team and as an individual. Bang on, as they say nowadays, 100%. But for you, Sarah Hirony, what stands her above everybody else? <laughs> um, like she's incredibly hardworking. She's honest. She's got integrity. And above all that, she's actually an amazing player. You know, she's a great human. The family's amazing. Um, I don't think you'd meet anybody who can say anything bad about Gossie. Incredible, you know, such a good person, such a good player. And that's the second or third time I've heard the word Gossie. What's, can, can you help me out there, Gossie? Is she a gossip or what's the story? No, no, her, her maiden name was Sarah Goss. Oh, I'm stupid, aren't I? I am completely stupid. <laughs> so everybody will call her Gossie, but now she's Sarah Hirini. So thank you for married. thank you for putting me in my place as being an ultimate tool. <laughs> All right, let's <laughs> let's move on, shall we, uh, and talk about your coaching career. You have something else? You is this something you were to aspire to and want to take it to a greater level? So you've coached the Storm, if my understanding is correct, uh, and 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 your assistant for Super Rugby Opiki. No, no, I didn't. I didn't make that grade, unfortunately. But yeah, like I've I've coached for twenty three years. Even at a club level to start with, just I needed to help out my club team, and and then I was lucky enough to um, go over to Hong Kong and I coached their um, national team, which was full time um, team, their sevens team over there. So I was there for four years, which was awesome, and then um, I came back to New Zealand. So yeah, I, I definitely enjoy coaching, and I would like to do a bit more in that space. Oh, okay. So, so okay. So the Opoki thing, what didn't you didn't make the grade, or didn't want to do it? Oh no, no, I, I wanted to do it. I just didn't make the grade. Oh bugger! After all the thing, good things we've said about you, <laughs> and suddenly they they, 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 they dump on you. Hey, what what's go? What is going on here? When you, when you go, <laughs> when you coach offshore, do you do you do you realise the impact that rugby has on people's lives? Yeah, I mean, you, you go to Hong Kong, and Hong Kong's a society that's very, you know, education is the paramount thing, and sport comes second. And, and because space over there is very, you know, most schools will have half a basketball court on the top of their five-story building. So rugby's a real privilege over there to play it, and, you know, just getting the locals on board and Hong Kongese and... Once they start playing, they love it. So how does Christmas look like for you? Well, I am 
out of here on Saturday. I'm heading to Nelson. You know, I'm doing a roadie past Tamaru to pick my dad up down to Queenstown where we are descending on my nephew who is lucky enough to be looking after this very nice spread um, out in Spare Grass Road. And so there's be about 15 of us out there enjoying ourselves immensely. Wow, is it going to get messy? Um, well, given that my dad and my sister both own stills and they've been in full production... Um, <laughs> stills of what? Could... What? What are they producing? Alcohol. Yeah, they I, produce I... ethanol. <laughs> <laughs> Good old boys, here we go, Moon, moonshine. You know what you could do, don't you? You could take the salver with you and put a little bit on the salver and maybe, you know, have a bit of fun with that. I did say to Farah, I said, if I can't drink out of it, I'm not sure if I want to accept it. But then I was like, ah, oh, no, I was just joking. Um, there are ways and means. Um, the wonderful Chris Coleman trophy you cannot drink out of in Auckland, but we have been known to tape a plastic cup to it. So I actually haven't, I haven't seen the salver, so I'm not kind of sure what it looks like. So it'll be interesting to see what I can do. Well, I'm good to it. see. I'm good to see that, that you're a setting example for young women rugby players and how to celebrate. <laughs> Anna Richards, congratulations on your award, uh, picking up the Steinlager Salver. Have a merry, merry Christmas, and please travel safe. Oh, thank you very much, and you have a wonderful Christmas too, Stephen. Thanks, Anna. Anna Richards, wow, how about that? First woman to win this Steinlager Salva for outstanding service to rugby, both on and off the field. Wow, family have got stills. What does she say? Alcohol. Well, of course it's alcohol. And then she goes, <laughs> ethanol. Ethanol. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Boom, it's 11.18. Get Nasser on the phone. He is in another orbit. Lazarus does it again. SNZ is pacing for purpose. Thanks to Harness Racing New Zealand. I'll talk you through this one, Stephen. Okay, so no, no, I think I've got this one sorted. Okay, so just remember to live the dream. Get involved with Harness Racing today, NZ Harness Racing. Visit hrnz.co.nz. Because pacing for purpose, each show here on SNZ has $50 to place on a harness race, right? And any winning goes to the charities of your choice. Well, ours wonderful charity here on summer days, well, mornings, Ian Smith mornings, is uh, Women's Refuge. Now, the tally stand of this, drive of, well, they've got the cosh on everybody at the moment. They've uh, Their tally is 980 Dollars, uh, us we are seven sixty. Breakfast is four fifty nine, and Staffy is toast. Afternoons on three twenty five. But it doesn't really matter because all of this money is going to charity. So our tip for this week, JD, is race four at seven fourteen tomorrow night at Alexandra Park. It's Chambre. Uh, two placings from three starts has Chambre primed for a breakthrough win. Can you enlighten me more as to why people should be backing Chambre in race four at Alexandra Park tomorrow, please? Yeah, I've given you some bad oil on two accounts, Stephen, oh, because geez. I know. Hardly what? anything, and this is why we've got Michael Guerin tomorrow to talk trots because okay. he knows what he's talking about, and I don't. It's it's <laughs> actually at Addington tomorrow in well, race four. Thanks, mate. Good steer. Good. And steer. we've also been scratched. I've just seen. 
So Chambray tomorrow, no one will be punting on Chambray well, tomorrow. Well, what are you going to do? Uh, scratched. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to talk to the people in charge. No, no, no. You have to make a call like a, a punter that doesn't know what they're doing. Make a call. Make a call. Is All there, right. So, okay, so what sort of names are in there? Let's go through the field then. Number one, Star Casino. Not bad. Okay. It's, it's got a star so, and, a, and a red top. Okay, nice. Number right. two, Hey Tonight. Mm, what's it? Drivers. No, okay. All right, so last two placings are fifth. Uh, number three, Woodley Jewel. I don't like the sound of Wood, Woodley. What's numbers like? What's the last start? Uh, no, no numbers underneath it. Okay, Looks like yeah. maybe a first run. Okay. Uh, number four, Scratched. That's that's our horse. Unbelievable. Yeah, Dog Tucker. Yeah, uh, dog tucker. Number five, Hell's Art. Oh, I like that. What's Bart? Bart again, Form Guide? Fifth. Fifth recently, Robbie Close on the drive and trained by Andrew Stewart. Means Seven. nothing to me. Yeah, same. Uh, number six, <laughs> Augusta Gold. Oh, now we like it. We've been talking about golf all morning. Form line? Uh, third in its last Done. start. You, Done. You that's like Augusta it. That's Gold? Our tip. That is our tip. But Rocket Man Rocket at seven. Man. Oh, and Great I do, name. Do you like Elton John? Craig Thornley on board. Crow, yeah, Brian What's knows what, what he's talking what, about. So, okay, well, Brian, is Craig Thornley the go, is he? Oh, they're, they're all guns, but Craig Thornley is good, yes. And he's on Rocket Man. He is on Rocket Man. Okay, da, let's, okay stop right there. What number okay. is Rocket Man? Rocket Man is number seven. What's he? What's it paying? Well, I don't know yet. It's too early for the markets. Okay, so okay. here is our tip for pacing with purpose. Yes. Number seven, Rocket Man, race four, Addington at 7.14. Not Alexandra Park. No. Race four, Addington, number seven, Rocketman with Thornley on the reins. Are you going to just belt out some Rocketman right now? I don't have any Rocketman here. Do you have any Rocketman here? No, no. I can organise it for later in the show. Oh, not bad. Not bad. Made five, five, six years, seven years uh, as a DJ in the early 80s. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Actual vinyl. Yeah, Yeah, mate. I I started out playing in in, uh, Radio Forestland in Tukuroa, 14.13 on the dial. Uh, I started out spinning discs and then went to cartridges and then CDs. I did all the lands. In the old days, there was Radio New Zealand. It was like, you know, our opposition, what well, NZ and me is nowadays, right? Yep. All the stations. I did Forestland, Lakeland, and scenic land. I did all the lands because you went through the community network as a as a, as a nice so a man of the land. A man of the land. I am not. It's eleven twenty eight. <laughs> hey, some good positive news too today uh, about Chris Cairns. The quote on the story is the best day of rehab yet. Now, if you remember. He had a huge problem. He suffered an aortic dissection in August, which left him fighting for his life first and foremost. Then he suffered a stroke in his spine. Oh, my goodness, just reading this. Uh, Left him paralyzed from the waist down. Well, he has revealed a major step forward in his ongoing recovery for the stroke in the spine. Wednesday, that's yesterday, he stood, I love this, John, unaided in a hydrotherapy pool. Now, of course, that's obviously going to help you. But the fact that he stood unaided, uh, he described it as the best day of rehab yet. He's recovering at the University of Canberra, where he's uh, you just you, you, your heart breaks. He's slowly trying to teach his body to walk again. It's the first quote. Uh, it's the first time using the hydrotherapy pool, first time standing unaided, and to walk or float my way up the pool. He said on Twitter, "Quote: I've heard freedom is the oxygen of the soul." Being able to kick and swim with my legs today was the most free I have ever felt. (laughs) Wow. 
and uh, that I think is is a, is a nice positive thing as we head into the weekend that, you know, one of our great cricketers, one of our great all-rounders, you know, big flying on the air, hair flowing uh, and suffered a life-altering event is, is on the road and, and you think, and I don't, I'm not a doctor, John, I don't have any clues, but the fact that he has st- stood unaided in a pool, you got to say that's that's a good sign, right? Oh yeah, absolutely inspiring too. And just what a life Chris Keynes has had, you know. Um, if you ever wanted to make a movie, I know they made one about Stephen Donald's kick, but they want to make one about Chris Keynes and just the Keynes family in general. There's enough subject matter there to make an epic blockbuster. And great to see, great great to be on this journey almost with Chris, watching his social media and seeing is so positive. Well, about I, the whole thing, and I, one would suspect too that by using social media, it's also a source of inspiration for himself. That he's a inspiring people, but also people are probably you know DMing him back and saying, "Hey, look, you know, love to see what you're going." So. You need a purpose in life. You have to have a purpose. And when you're hit by something like that, not the, and hope to hell nothing ever happens like that. Uh, you need somebody to take yourself forward. So I think it's a, it's a great, yeah, it's it's a great story. Uh, speaking of great stories. Stumpings, cricket stumpings, nice work, JD. Uh, if you want to try and stump me, get on the blower now. 0800 150811. That's 0800-150811. The added bonus today on stumping. If you stump me, I will give you the Sky Sport Now Fight Pass to watch Parker Jazora 2 for free. So there's a, a bonus today. You stump me, you we double you up, and you are a winner, winner. Stumped by Stephen. It's that time of the day where we give away 50 bucks from the TAB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And as Stephen McIver mentioned, a pass to Parker Jazora 2 on Sunday morning starting at 7am on Sky. You normally have to pay around 40 bucks for that. But not today. If you win Stumped by Stephen, you will get that for free. And we head to Christchurch, the Garden City, and that's where John is. Good morning, John. Yeah, good up, How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks, mate. How are you easing into Christmas? Yeah, get in there, mate, slowly. Uh, she's a bit damp down here today, but uh, it's not too bad. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, washing out the races in Ashburton. So how's your place going? A bit of flooding around? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of surface water around the place. Um, some people will probably be struggling a bit, but, yeah, it's not too bad where I am. All right, mate, you know how this game works. Uh, three yep. sporting categories. You choose one. And then you get three questions right and you win. But as soon as you get one wrong, that means that Stephen can come in and stump you. So today, your categories are rugby, basketball, or, as I scroll, boxing. Which one of those do you like? Oh, I would have to go rugby. Rugby. Solid. Stephen? Yeah, I know. Just get on with it. All right. All right. Rugby, solid. What did you make of the awards last night? Yeah, pretty good. Actually, good outcome. Good yeah. to see her and so good to see. Absolutely, what a legend. Um, McCaw-like, yeah. I reckon. Sarah Hidney, and who's standing yeah. in the game, just tireless. Very, yeah, awesome. awesome. And also uh, training, and also training to be a pilot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, got that in common as well. Both yeah. number sevens as well. Yeah. All right. Question number one on rugby. The All Blacks will play England next year for the first time since the 2019 Rugby World Cup. What was the score on that horrible day in Tokyo? We kind of erased... 29-17. 
one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. We erase losses pretty quickly with the All Blacks, but Stephen McIver, you don't know? Do you want to guess a score? No. All Blacks England semi-final 2019? 15-12. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. 19-7. Oh, so you weren't far away. Not a bad for an out-and-out guess. You were not far away, but that means you're still alive, John. Question number two. <laughs> the All Blacks in England are joint record holders for the most consecutive wins. How many tests in a row did both of these teams record? You are kidding me. 19. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct, Stephen McIver. Chance for a stumping. How many wins in a row is the record in rugby that the All Blacks in England both got? Thank goodness England didn't get it by themselves. But anyway, that's by the by. He said 19, didn't he? Um, I'll say 12. One of the worst things (laughs) I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Richie Benno's never talked so much on this show. Uh, It is 18. You were very close, John. Keep going. Come on. Yeah, you were there or thereabouts. (laughs) Yep, from August 2015 to October 2016. Won every game. Those were the days, weren't they? All right, John. Last one, mate, for all the prizes. Only four teams have won the Men's Rugby World Cup. Name each of them by year, starting with 1987. <laughs> All Black. Yep. Uh, 1991. Australia. Yep, 95. 95 would have been, I would say, South Africa. Yes, 1999. Uh, 99. Uh, England. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. All right, Stephen, pick it up from 1999. Australia? Yes. Uh, 2003? England in Australia? Yes. 2007? Where was that played? Oh, gosh. Uh, No clues. 2007. Uh, South Africa? Yes. 2011? New Zealand? Yes. 2015? New Zealand? Yes, and 2019? This is the last one, right? Yep. Oh, gosh. South Africa? Yes. That means you've been stumped, John. Unfortunately. Oh, no worries. All good. No worries. I was not backing Stephen to know those, (laughs) to be honest. Was that that the only call we're taking today? Yeah, and now now it jackpots to tomorrow, but I reckon we give John John, at least something. John, guess what? You're not going to walk away a loser today. I'm going to give you the Sky Sport Now uh, fight pass to watch Parker Jazora on Sunday morning for free, all right? Oh, awesome. Thanks, Stephen. That's fantastic, mate. No, you are more than welcome because for me to beat someone in rugby is ridiculous, okay? So, <laughs> well done, mate. That's really good. So well done, stay, on, stay on the line and give the boys all the details, all right? Well done, Joe. Thanks very much. <laughs> Well done, John. And so that means, Stephen, tomorrow we'll have 100 bucks to give away okay. from the TAB as well as those sleep drops. So well done to you, Stephen McIver. You know who's won each Rugby World Cup. Hell yeah, it's 11.37. This is Summer Days with Stephen McIver and for me, Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.43. I love those moments when a friend of yours gets to do something they really want to do. And this is a story about Mike Angove. I've worked with Mike Angove for probably 10 to 15 years. Uh, He's been doing all the talking as our MMA boxing commentator, but he's also been part of the CKB, City Kickboxing, as a coach, strike coach, whatever coach. And he's part of the whole Israel Adesanya camp, the whole nine yard. 
But Mike now, in my mind, has got his dream job. He's recently been named the head striking coach at the UFC Chinese Performance Institute, and he joins us right now. Are we talking the dream job here, bud? Um, well, <laughs> in my typical Kiwi reserve, <laughs> yeah. I'll say it's a pretty good, it's a pretty cool opportunity. Yeah, no, you know, they're, they're not something that comes up very often. Yeah, so how did this come about? Um, oh, look, uh, late last year, um, so it was quite a long process, but late last year, Eugene mentioned to me that the, the USCPI were looking for a coach and they were looking for a junior coach. So I didn't think about it too much um, at the time. And, uh, you know, a little later, I just, uh, I was in my corporate role and I was thinking, I'm going to have to immerse myself in, in this corporate role. You got the corporate ladder. Um, Yuck. You know, and, 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 you know, I can do that. I'm, I'm, really, I'm pretty good at it. Um, but um, I would not have been able to, to go away and train with Izzy, wouldn't have been able to go away and coach, wouldn't have been able to do the things that, uh, you know, I've invested over 30 years of my life doing. And um, so, I, so I explored the opportunity. Uh, as it transpired, they, they hadn't filled it, and um, they were open to the idea of a more senior role. So in, in a sense, that head striking coach came out, of, came out of that inquiry. So that's where, um, yeah, that's kind of how that eventuated. It was quite a long process. Um, you know, it's over a year now, to be honest, um, in that... Um, you know, you, you have to go through, you have to interview, uh, you have to prepare materials, you have to do video analysis, and a whole bunch of stuff to, to show that you, uh, you know, yeah. you know what you're talking about. Do you have, you, and, have, you, uh, have you got your yeah. visa yet? Um, just waiting, waiting. Should be through any moment now. And, um, yeah, if it, uh, hopefully it turns up on Friday. If it turns up on Friday, I'm, uh, I'm out of here on Monday. Um, if, if it's not here on Friday, I'll, I'll be out of here later in, later in the week, you know, a week later. So, yeah, reality bites right now. We're um, rushing around doing things to make sure we, uh, you know, <laughs> we leave things in good order, basically. Hey. How, how excited are you about dealing with an, an, a lot of raw talent? Uh, as a coach, um, I, I find it, um, you know, challenging and, uh, it'll be extending because obviously it's also a lot of it's done in English second language. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, how could you not be excited about that? But I'm a bit, I'm a bit pragmatic in that, um, I've got a job to do and I tend to be a little bit, you know, have that kind of Kiwi reserve, you know, I've got a job to do, let's go and do it. It's only in the moments when I sit back and I look at what I'm about to do and even look at the things that we've done that I think, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, okay. You know? um, but I think the, the exciting thing for me is I'm going to the home of martial arts to teach martial arts and I'm a New Zealander going to, to fly the New Zealand flag and further, I guess, demonstrate and prove just how good we are here. And um, that that sort of kind of excites me even more. So even though I may be wor- working and producing Chinese fighters, so in my mind, I'm actually um, I'm flying the New Zealand flag where I'm going, you know, and just proving the the quality of what we have known for 
you know, in excess of, um, you know, 20 years, um, that, that we're actually world-class back here in little old New Zealand. And yet again, we're, we're punching above our weight. It's just that the mainstream audience has only really just started to recognise that um, recently because of the, the UFC and their, uh, yeah. you know, and their mainstream cut-through. Uh, based in Shanghai, what is the talent pool like? Um, I don't know. How, how can that many billion Chinese be wrong? <laughs> I mean, look, China is a huge, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to say continent, although I know that's not geographically correct, but it cuts across so many geographical regions um, that you've got a massive pool of uh, massive part of Asia with a whole bunch of, of different ethnicities, if you like, as well. You know, there's a huge uh, difference between the guys in Shanghai and the guys in Mongolia, for example. Um, you know, so there, there's a massive pool of athletic talent and athletic potential. They've uh, they've started a little late on, on MMA, but they've had a really good uh, Sandar and kickboxing circuit for a very long time. That's where Israel Adesanya cut his teeth there, um, Kaikata France, um, you know, a number of our Kiwi guys actually went over and um, and afford in China, Carlos Solberg, Blood Diamond, um, you know, numerous guys have actually made their name on the Chinese circuit. So, um, you know, that that means that they've got a really good level of, uh, in particular, stand-up fighting um, that they can transition over, which suits, um, you know, from the perspective where we come from, from CKB, starting out more as a, as a, as a striking dominant gym um, as we evolve in the MMA process. Uh, let's just quickly talk UFC. I think it's 271 with in Houston. Is it 271 in Houston where Izzy uh, fights Whitaker and then you've got Ulberg and also Blood Diamond on the prelims. Uh, Blood Diamond fascinates me. How good can he be at, at, his, at his later age getting into this? Um, well, Blood has had over 100 fights. Yeah. So you're not talking about some kid who's coming in yeah. who's green. He's bought internationally. He's an extremely tricky customer. Um, you know, if this was a, a pure striking match, uh, it'd be all over in, inside three minutes. Um, the guy who's fighting is a wrestler. Um, you know, so Bloods has actually been training in the grappling department for quite some time now, over three years. Um, so he's a relatively well-kept secret. Um, we call him Black Jelly. Um, that's because he's incredibly difficult to keep down and he's very, very flexible. Um, <laughs> nice. So, you know, um, so that's going to be interesting for him. But going up against a wrestler first up, he is going to be tested immediately uh, against a guy who will not want to stand. He'll want to put him down. Um, so, you know, we, we're going to see both how good his takedown defense is and, and his get-up game. And also just how good a striking is as well as, as a deterrent for that. But you've got to remember, every fight starts on the feet. Every round starts on the feet. So, you know, that, that uh, plays in our favour. Oh, Mike, well, congratulations, buddy. I'm so happy for you. Uh, I'll cross fingers that the, the visa comes through and you get out of here and, and have a safe and enjoyable Christmas. But go get them, man. Show us what we made of. Show them what we made of. Yeah, thanks, and it uh, been great working with you over the years, mate. And, uh, yeah, I'm not lost in New Zealand, but the ties are still there. Good man. Um, you know, so, um, you know really, really looking forward to it. Cheers, buddy. All right, bud, thanks so much for your time. Mike Angove, the head striking coach at the UFC Performance Institute in China. He'll be there potentially next week. It's 11.51.